This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This podcast is sponsored by Monarch Money. Are you saving to reach your financial goals? Reaching those goals isn't just about getting more money, but by managing what you have. And the best way to manage your money? Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a new kind of finance app that's intuitive, powerful, ad-free, and takes the headaches out of budgeting. Try it free when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. Monarch puts all your accounts, investments, transactions, and finances at your fingertips. With a complete view of your finances, you'll gain insights on your spending and find new ways to save. Plus, Monarch lets you customize your dashboard, collaborate with your partner, set custom budgets and goals, and track your progress toward them. See why Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and loving it, and why the Wall Street Journal named Monarch Money the best budgeting app overall. Get a 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H money.com slash podcast for your free trial. monarchmoney.com slash podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a big show, a real big shoe. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and say cheese because today is National Cheesecake Day. And because today we're answering your letters from the mailbag. Is it easy to build a stream of money that comes in from your stocks? How do Roth 401k plans work? What's the name of that cool fintech company from a while ago that we talked about that makes the thingy? You know, that, that, one, that one thingy. We'll answer those specific questions, plus throw down some mind-bending trivia, share some headlines ripped from the popular press, and much, much more. And now, two guys who always love a good mail day, Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. You know the days I miss? I miss when I would get the 15 CDs for a penny mails. Yeah, we've talked about that, right? How that uh, business model just really didn't take off the way that Columbia Records thought it would. I think it did. I just think that now 15 MP3s isn't the same sexiness, I suppose. It's not. But speaking of that sexy voice across the card table from me. (laughs) Nice. Yeah, that's not good. Is uh, the one and only OG or as we call him sometimes, the other guy. Yes, that's me. I'm here in the partially remodeled uh, basement. It's coming. It's coming. I feel like this is going to be like every construction project ever where it's going to take a really long time to realize the vision. (laughs) It's going to take so long. It's so ugly. But you know what's not ugly? Stamps.com isn't ugly. It's smooth, though. Thanks to Stamps.com for supporting Stacky Benjamins. With Stamps.com, you can access all the services 
of the post office right from your desk. Right now, use SB for the special offer. Get this, a four-week trial, including postage and digital scale. Head to stamps.com, click on the radio microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in SB, that's stamps.com, enter SB. And thanks to Emperor Investments for supporting Stacky Benjamins. Investing is complicated, as we all know, and selecting the right equities can be daunting for even the most sophisticated investors. That's why Emperor Investments, a new robo-investing platform, is offering Stacky Benjamins listeners personalized all-equity portfolios. And by the way, OG, when they say all-equities, they don't mean they're slapping together a bunch of ETFs. It means you actually own the equities. All stocks, okay. Free for six months. Take advantage of this exclusive offer. Visit emperorinvestments.com forward slash SB and select Stacky Benjamin's podcast under How'd You Hear About Emperor during sign-up. By the way, one of the things I like when you do the fee comparison to know that you're actually buying the actual investments because obviously when you have a robo approach that has already prepackaged investments inside of it, you've got the fee of the robo plus the additional fee of the underlying investment. Uh, they explain all that if you go to emperorinvestments.com forward slash SB. All right. We got a lot of explaining to do, explaining to you about your letters that you sent us. I'm so excited. But first we have headlines. So let's get this party started. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Our first headline comes to us from Napa-Net. That's the National Association of Plan Advisors, part of the American Retirement Association. It's written by Ted Godbout. What do you think about this, OG? Will working in retirement be the new norm? While few current retirees take a job in their golden years, a new study suggests that large percentages of future retirees expect to continue working during retirement, driven by uncertainty about Social Security and their own financial preparedness. PGIM Investments 2018 Retirement Preparedness Study finds that only 6% of today's retirees work, but 52% of pre-retiree baby boomers, 58% of pre-retiree Gen Xers, and 43% of pre-retiree millennials expect to take on a full or part-time job during retirement. Perhaps not surprisingly, the study observes that these expectations may be linked to a decreased reliance on Social Security among these pre-retirees. So all the way through Gen X, it looks like people that aren't retired think they're going to be working during their retirement years. So they're not really retired. They're just uh, got a different job after they get rid of their other job. <laughs> what the people now? No, these are pre-retirees. They're, no, I'm talking about uh, people. You know, people that are going to say, "Hey, I'm retired, but I'm working full time." Yeah, right. <laughs> like we huh? talk, like we talked about on a roundtable recently. Well, this is uh, this has got to be just a function of reality setting in, right? At some point, you get to your workplace on the factory floor or wherever you work and go, well, darn it, I don't have any money or I don't have enough money. And so, yeah, I have to keep working today because I've got what average 401k balance is what a hundred thousand dollars. That'll last, uh, two years. I think this is why it's important. OG to love what you do because the chance that you're going to live a lot longer are much better now than they were even 30 years ago. And because of that, you're going to need more money to fund that retirement means the nest egg needs to be bigger. Also, another reason why I think people think they're going to work longer. And because of that, if you're in a job that you hate. Well, it all depends on what kind of work you're doing too. There are certainly jobs that people can do well into their 70s and 80s 
podcasting, for example, that would be a job that we could do. TV, radio, financial planning. But if you're out doing more physical type work, right, there is a function of just your body being able to do it. Well, then moving down the piece, it says pre-retirees need to be prepared for the unexpected. The study notes that 51% of retirees say they retired earlier than expected. And of that group, half say they retire more than five years earlier than planned. In many cases, the reason for the earlier than planned retirement were involuntary, including, to your point, for health problems. That's 29% of the time. Then layoffs are restructuring, 14%. The need to care for a loved one, 13%, and the inability to find a new job was 10%. Yeah, this is just proving the point that we quite often don't get to pick our retirement times. We may have in our mind, hey, I'm going to retire when I'm 65 and get my full pension and all that sort of jazz. But at the end of the day, if the company calls and says, great news, we're merging with another firm, not so great news, you don't have a job anymore. Tough situation if you're not ready for it. Yeah. Our second headline comes to us from financialplanning.com. Why advisors fired their clients? I thought this was interesting from financial planning because often... Because it was your birthday and that's what you give to yourself every year on your birthday. <laughs> you, you, you fire somebody that wasn't working out. And people, people all the time yep. talk about firing their advisors, but seriously, I've known some great advisors that had to fire clients. It goes both ways. What do you think the number one reason is advisors fire clients? Oh, I have no idea what the number one reason is. Uh, I would say something, some, some, some generic thing like personality match or something. Well, yeah, actually it goes to what mom says, which is be nice. Number one is being rude. A client got frustrated that an IRA distribution was taking longer than she expected. She called saying she needed money for a house closing two days before the closing and she proceeded to berate my team leader, verbally attacking her. I promptly called the client and told her that we could no longer work together. No regrets. But that's the yeah. that's the number one. Berating my team members, being rude. And by the way, calling for your money two days before the house closing, not cool. Yeah. Sounds like you've got a great relationship with your advisor that uh, to begin with. It's like never in the whole process of buying a house did I casually mention to my person that's supposed to be helping me guide me through all these decisions that, oh, by the way, I'm going to be buying a house. And by the way, I'm going to take the money out of my retirement account. Maybe there would have been some discussions along the way to forestall that decision, but nevertheless. On the same token, the number two one listed here is threatening behavior. Listen to this story. As a new advisor, I got the opportunity to work with a young surgeon at a local hospital. It was the height of the dot-com boom. and We'd invested in a stock that went up by 50% in less than a month. I thought it'd be best to take profits and called him at his office, expecting to leave a message with one of his nurses. Instead, his nurse said, just call him on his cell phone and gave me his number. A few minutes later, my assistant came into my office visibly shaken. She said the surgeon was on the phone and said that when she'd answered the call, all he said was, I need to speak to Chip in five, four, three, and counted her down. Then I got on the line. He barked that he didn't care about money and that I shouldn't call him, just do whatever needed to be done and hung up the phone. Immediately after hanging up, I knew exactly what had to be done. I liquidated the position and went online to find transfer paperwork for a well-known online brokerage firm. I printed the forms and mailed them to him along with a letter explaining we didn't work with people who didn't have respect for our team and that we suggested he work with someone else. A few weeks later, he called to apologize. And while I appreciated that, I insisted we could not work together. Sadly, I've known some people like that myself who just uh, 
I think they're busy giving orders a good portion of the day. And because of that, so many people have to follow their very terse commands that they make them even more and more terse. Scalpel! Sell! Sounds the same, I guess. Yeah. Well, this is one of the reasons why when I talk to new potential clients, I spend a lot of time focusing on how I think we'll interact from a relationship standpoint, because I I certainly know a lot of advisors, you do too, that are more interested in the dollars. Oh, they have a million dollar portfolio or a $500,000 portfolio or a hundred thousand or whatever. And that's important because we got to have something to work with. But at the end of the day, I think about it like this. I've been doing this for 20 years. I've got another 25 years to do it. If I talk to you every six months, that's 50 conversations about your money. If we're going to have 50 conversations, the first couple better be pretty good. Otherwise, conversation number 46, 47, and so on are going to really suck. So I can usually tell right away. I think other people can too. And if you're honest with yourself, both if you're an advisor and if you're a client, you can go, hey, this doesn't feel like it's going to be a good match. And that's really important to me. And you kind of... uh, eliminate any of these relationship type issues at the very beginning, which I'd rather do, right? If it's not a good fit, it's just not a good fit. Yeah, absolutely. Just imagine spending year after year with that person, which brings up the next one, clashing personalities. Here's a story. I had a client who was an engineer and abrasive in personality. I met him at an education session I'd done for his company. And during the course of the presentation, this was in the 90s, I suggested a modeling rate of return could be 10%. Every meeting, we bought reams of spreadsheets. If we made 10% or more, he said nothing. If we made less, he'd say, you said we could make 10%. I explained in what I thought was a professional fashion that I was using it as an example. He persisted, and it was annoying. Finally, I had enough and told him I was resigning. He looked shocked, and I said, you're not happy, and I don't feel right about it. I can't make you happy, so you need to find somebody who will. I know you'd resign if your boss was continually unhappy. He paused and said, My boss is continually unhappy, but that's not my fault. I said, mine either. Now either quit harping on the 10% or go someplace else. There you go. (laughs) Uh, I had a client that came to me once and he said, oh, my last advisor was so rude. She said, when you find your magic wand, I hope it works. And he said, it was insulting. I hated it. Six months later, as he was walking out my door, after I let him go, I said, you know what, Jim, when you find your magic wand, hope it works. Because he thought I was the next one at first. Well, that's a great question, right? I mean, you know, again, we talk about clients interviewing advisors. Like, what's the list of questions that you should ask if you're a client? Tell me about your designations. Tell me about your experience. Tell me about your fee structure. Da da da. What are the questions that you should ask if you're an advisor? Tell me about your other relationships with other professionals, and you can see that. Oh, well, my lawyer's a crook. My tax guy's an idiot. I can never get a hold of him. The last financial guy, he he lost me money during the recession. There it I had is. a call the other day with somebody that was a referral and he said, yeah, I'm really ticked off with my broker. I said, oh yeah, why is that? And he says, you know, I'm still mad from 2008. And I go, really? That's quite a long time ago. Tell me more. And he says, I just feel like you should have got me out faster. And I'm like, <laughs> oh my, look at the time. Cause I have I would, an urgent appointment cause back I would, on planet I, earth. Cause I wouldn't have gotten you out at all. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny and sad. The next ones, and we won't go into all these, uh, I'll link to them in the show notes at stackybenjamins.com. But the next one is too much family drama, overspending, and they won't slow down. I've had that one. That's a really tough one. Yep. And then demanding too much. And I had a client like that that was an extremely nice guy, but just super demanding. And I felt like we were working on his stuff constantly. 
and he was never paying his fees like I was working on his stuff constantly. We had to let him go, even though I really liked him. I realized I'm spending all day doing Ed's work and Ed's not paying me anything. Yeah. To do Ed's work all the time. Yeah. How much does it cost to get an hour of consulting time every day with with you? It's like, um, well, it's the money I make every year divided by you know two thousand hours. So how many hours of those do you want? They're, but then, but then they expect that, and I think that's lesson number one. I think communication, good, effective communication with your your team, no matter who your team is, financial advisor, CPA, other professionals, super important to pay attention to how you communicate and and uh, make sure it's a good fit. And then the I think the second takeaway is working in retirement, probably OG, yeah. That's my favorite show, OG, because Doug just brought down a big old stack of mail. Big old stack. Big old stack of Benjamins. And we're going to start unleashing mail, I mean. a little knowledge. The Kraken. Some knowledge bombs. Yes. Uh, first letter here. Let me see. This one comes to us from Parrish. Parrish says, in general, do you think a person with average investing skills can build a 6% dividend paying portfolio for retirement? By investing in REITs, preferred stocks, master limited partnerships, bonds, and dividend paying stocks. I'm looking at over 30 different holdings. Would this be high on the risk factor? Thanks, Parrish. What do you think, OG? Uh, hey, Parrish. I think the first thing that we want to talk about is the question within the question, which isn't how do I get 6% out of my dividends or out of my portfolio? And do you think that's too aggressive? It's how do I build a lifetime sustaining portfolio that I can reasonably assume that doesn't uh, uh, run out? And I think a lot of people put focus on dividends, which is okay, but dividends are nothing more than just a different form of precipitation. You think about if it rains, if it snows, if it sleets, if it ices, if it hails, it's still water coming from the sky. So when you're getting a portfolio that's high dividends, 6%, which by the way, seems really high, you're giving up something else. It's all return of uh, shareholder value. If you run a company and you have a profit, you have two different things that you can do with that profit. Well, I guess maybe three. The first thing you can do is you can give it back to your shareholders. That's what we call dividends. Another way is you can take that money and buy other things with it to grow your organization, buy another plant or invest in a new product line. And maybe arguably a third thing would be to pay down debt or buy back shares or something to improve shareholder value that way. So it really doesn't matter if you get a 6% dividend in a portfolio, you're probably not going to get a lot of capital appreciation. If you get a lot of capital appreciation in a portfolio, you probably don't get a lot of dividends because it's all profit just being deployed in a different way. So I wouldn't focus so much on the 6% number being that hard and fast rule. I would be more looking at 3, 3 3.5%, 4% of the distribution of the overall portfolio. And is that sustainable long term? That's an interesting thing because I find that people are allergic to selling. You feel like when you sell, you have less. But capital appreciation, if your portfolio works the right way, oh, gee, those shares are worth more money, meaning you can have fewer shares and still have more money. Yeah, and if you do it the way Parrish is talking about here, going, hey, I'm going to try to get the highest dividends possible, which, by the way, there's two sides of that stick, too. Just like in bond <laughs> yields, if you're trying to get a really high rate of return in your bonds, that kind of sometimes means that the bonds probably aren't really good. Just like if you try to lend money to your stake brother, 
you got to charge him 20% because he might not be good for it. <laughs> do, you, do you want to define that for a second? The reason why a high yield bond is high yield is because companies have credit ratings just like you and I do. And if mm-hmm. a company's credit's bad, they have to pay high interest to the man like you and I do if we have bad credit. So that's essentially when you talk about getting a high yield on your bonds, you're talking about loaning money to companies with a not very good track record. Now, MLPs, a little bit different story. REITs also OG, a little bit different story there. But high yield bonds and companies that pay a massive dividend that aren't master limited partnerships, not a REIT, uh, can be some sketchy stuff going on. When I was uh, trying to get my first mortgage, I was trying to convince the banker that I was a high yield person. <laughs> my family was high yield. He was going to get a lot of yield out of me. Um, <laughs> and he went, no, no, you're just junk. Your junk status, junk. I can already tell. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Look at I you. Said, no, it's, it's the same side of this, you know, it's a different side of the same coin. That's a fun. Um, yeah. Thanks for the question, Parrish. Not the most efficient way. Also, another thing for Parrish, generally speaking, if you have all these dividends paying OG, especially at that rate, that excludes most municipal bonds, most tax shelter bonds, meaning that you're also taking distributions in a very tax inefficient way. Yeah, it could be. I mean, it kind of depends on the type of stock it is, right? If it's a qualified um, uh, dividend, that's going to be taxed a little bit more efficiently. And it also depends on where your income is, because take this, for example, if you have a million dollars and let's say that you get $60,000 of dividends and they're not defined as qualified dividends. Well, now you have $60,000 of earnings, which is going to add to your taxability of, let's say, your Social Security. And now that adds to your Medicare premium payment. It snowballs all of these other things that happen, and it kind of takes you out of the driver's seat of controlling some of those things. To your point, if we were going to sell a portfolio, we could choose maybe, hey, this year we're going to sell all the way up to a certain tax bracket, even though it's going to be more, because next year we can take little, we'll just live yeah. off of our extra saving. You know what I mean? You yeah. can plan it out a little bit better. Yeah. Thanks for the question, Parrish. I got a letter here also, a G from Dennis. Then it says, hello, Joe, G, and Doug. I haven't learned anything on your show, but still hoping to work for the man and have contributed to my 401k plan for over 20 years. I'm in my fourth year of a light managing my account, so I'm evaluating their performance. Their fee is 0.2% of the balance. Like many people, I have high expectations for this year, and I'm not seeing the results. I can try Bloom and probably will, but my real question is starting in 2013, my 401k plan started offering the Roth option. I decided to split my 6% contribution. I didn't have any numbers to back this up. I just figured I wanted to do something. When I read about the 401k Roth, I interpret that both the amount I contribute and its interest and dividends will not be taxed when it's withdrawn, but the account statement only shows the Roth contributions. Am I correct in what I'm reading? If so, then who keeps track of the interest and dividends in the Roth account? I don't see a separation of Roth and standard 401k interest and dividends on my account. I only see the 401k Roth contributions. Tell mom I really like to have some of her cookies. I'd like to come to the basement. <laughs> see you more Benjamins, Dennis in North Carolina. Well, Dennis, we are doing some serious remodeling here and uh, getting on the moving truck in a couple months. So come join us in January. But there's two different things going on here. He starts off. He just He's like, I've got a really important thick squirrel. That's what I thought. I don't know anything about a light. Here's what I do know is that you really want to have a conversation about how the money's being managed because I don't know what a light does, but I do know that often people's expectation is I'm going to hand money to so-and-so and and baby, it's just going to go. And 
it's better to have a conversation about the expected risk level, the expected what's called standard deviation of the portfolio. We can talk about beta. We can talk about all kinds of different statistics that will give you some idea about how this money actually will perform versus I hope it's going to do really good. I hope it's going to do really good isn't a benchmark. And I want to make sure that I'm comparing my investments to a benchmark and not in the way earlier we talked about the advisor saying, well, you said you do 10%. Not talking about that. I'm talking about what rate of return do you need to get where you want to go? And then over long periods of time, what is the risk level you want to get to that point and then manage your assets accordingly. And maybe a light is doing that. And maybe in this particular market, a light is trailing. I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. Last week, we talked to Jordan Waldrop from the Vice Fund. If you look at the Vice Fund over the last six months, it is at the bottom of the barrel. And part of the reason is, and I asked Jordan this, but part of the reason is, is because those types of stocks in this particular environment don't perform that well. But if I go to a 10-year track record OG and I look at Vice stocks, that's a whole different ballgame, right? So it's not a six-month battle we're fighting. It's a much longer thing. And whether I choose the Vice Fund or buzz index, a light or bloom or whatever it might be, I got to kind of know what I'm getting into a little more than they manage my money for me. The way that you want to think about how to solve the, how do I make my money grow question is recognize that you are in charge of what your portfolio does. And sometimes when I say that people look at me like I have two bags on my head and not just one and say, what do you mean I can control what my money does? And then just in the market's going to do whatever the market does it. And the answer is, yeah, we don't get to control day to day or week to week or even year to year. But I know over a long period of time, my expectations can be, here's what a portfolio of this style or this combination of investments has done over a really long period of time. Doesn't mean it's going to happen in the future, but that's what I can base my goals on. And so now we want to take marry that with, well, what kind of volatility can you really tolerate? And quite often... We're talking with people and they say, oh, yeah, in 2008, I, you know, I stayed the course. It was hell, hellacious, but I did it. I go, yeah, you had 20 grand and it went down to 19 or 18 or it went down to 11, but now you have 2 million. And if you went down to a million one, you're going to just go, hey, stay the course. Hey, you know, it's the same percentage, right? So you have to constantly reevaluate and put in dollars and cents. Here's what this level of volatility means to me. This is what could happen. And then you marry that against, here's what my goals need. And so when you look at investment performance, sometimes we get misled by the market was up 14% this year. Well, who gives a crap what the market did? Because your money is not going to be invested like that because you have different goals and timeframes than your neighbor or you know whatever else. So you're right. You need to have a conversation with the investment manager at the beginning of the relationship. And frankly, two years into it is like changing horses at the quarter turn in the Kentucky Derby. You're not even into a half of a market cycle, let alone a full market cycle. And you're going, my horse is kind of in the middle of the pack and I'm not sure. I think I'm going to order up a new one. You know, I would never advise that. The other part of your question is the Roth versus the traditional 401k. And you're absolutely right. Everything you said there, Roth 401k contributions are after tax, meaning you've already paid taxes on the money going in. It's going to grow tax deferred. You're going to take that money out tax free. And who keeps track of it all? The wonderful record keeper does. And so fast forward to your retirement date and you say, hey, I've got this bucket of money. 
you call up your 401k provider and say, I want to move it into an IRA. I want to roll it over. They will say to you, okay, here's how much money is in the traditional side and here's how much money is in the Roth. And you'll roll those over into two separate accounts at that point uh, if you chose to do that. So the record keeper is the one keeping track of how much money you have in earnings and appreciation on your Roth contribution. Thanks for the question, Dennis. And you know what? I'm a little parched, OG. Why don't we hand this baby over to Doug for a second? You and I get a drink of water and uh, we'll take on more questions. Hey there, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And during sharing time at breakfast today, Joe's mom shared that today is the anniversary of Henry Ford's birthday. So in the spirit of sharing with you, let's dust off our old car book and share a little Ford-related trivia, shall we? Good deal. You probably know that Ford's first car was the Model T and his first truck was the Model TT. So what was Henry Ford's second car? I'll be back with the answer in just a moment. Well, these days, OG, you can get anything that you want on demand. I mean, people press play to get this thing started. Listen whenever you want, when it's convenient for you. Did you know you can even get postage on demand? All you need to do that, stamps.com. With stamps.com, you can access all the services of the post office right from your desk, buy and print real U.S. postage for any letter or any package, all available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Imagine, OG, you can't sleep. It's 3 a.m. Why don't you mail your buddy a letter? right? Why don't you send us a letter down here in the basement? Yeah, it's just like Santa Claus. You just write Stacking Benjamins, the basement, Boom. and it will it will show up. Magically get here. Just click print mail and you're done. Stamps.com will even send you a digital scale. That's nice. I want to talk about something that I had happen in my stamps.com account real quick, if I can interrupt for just a second. Absolutely. So, Occasionally, I do like bulk mailing things. So I'm I'm printing off all these labels. You know, we're doing this media mail thing. And then all of a sudden, I realize I totally screwed up the last three of them. It turns out they were big packages. It was about $80 worth of postage between these three things. And I'm going, son of a gun. I got to redo it. I just spent 80 bucks. No siree. There is a refund button. You just click a button. You click the things, you know, the uh, labels that were incorrect. You attest to the fact that you hand to God, not going to really mail it. Boom. Refund two days later. Super easy. That's, that's really cool, by the way. I had a very similar... It was awesome. Yeah. I was so happy. Yeah. Yeah. I had a very similar experience, by the way. It was printing just the wrong... It was ugly. Uh, and stamps.com <laughs> just took care of it. I was, yeah. I was sending out books to people in the basement, and I totally was getting the labels all stuff. Very similar story. Yeah. yeah. Good stuff. Right now, use SB for a special Stacky Benjamins offer. Listen to this, a four-week trial includes postage and a digital scale. Don't wait, go to stabs.com before you do anything else. Click on the radio microphone at the top of the homepage and type in SB, that's stamps.com, then enter SB. We're so excited that Emperor Investments supports Stacking Benjamins. Emperor Investments is a new tech-driven investment platform looking to shake up the investing space and it's giving all of our Stacky Benjamin's family personalized all equity portfolios fee free for six months. And what I like about Emperor Investments, if you look at the team up there in Toronto offering working with Emperor Investments OG, this is a team with a long history of money management and a long history of success. Emperor Investments is a lifestyle investment company 
They understand investors have different goals and dreams, a new home, a dream vacation, retirement, and more. Emperor's platform creates customized portfolios designed to help you meet those life goals. Remember what we were talking about earlier, OG? Start with the goal and work backwards. Yep. That's what we want to do with Emperor Investments. Emperor invests solely in individual dividend-paying stocks, giving clients tailored portfolios. To take advantage of this exclusive Stacky Benjamins family offer, visit emperorinvestments.com forward slash SB and select Stacky Benjamins podcast under How Did You Hear About Emperor during sign up. emperorinvestments.com forward slash SB. there trivia nerds joe's mom's neighbor doug and i'm back again i just checked the calendar and if i'm calculating this right it's still the anniversary of henry ford's birthday so let's share the thrilling answer what was henry ford's second car while the model t was first and the tt was the first truck the second car was the model a speaking of model if you need a more modern day model for your next party, anniversary, celebration, or bar mitzvah, just book an appointment on my website between the hours of 11 a.m. and 2 p.m. I can't work myself too hard, right? See ya. Happy birthday to Henry Ford. What is he, 160? You know what Henry Ford be saying if he was alive right now? Let me out of this kill, box. Kill me, I'm so old. I like mine better. Yes, I agree with you. <laughs> Let's go back. We've got more of your letters. I love this. Our next letter comes to us from Jared. Jared says, a while back, Joe featured a fintech website that allowed people to build investment portfolios and then compared those portfolios to famous investors like Benjamin Graham, Buffett, etc. I was curious if you could provide that website again. Thanks, Jared. Here's the deal. The name of that company is Kavout. And uh, I haven't been there in probably four months. And when I tried to go there, my browser told me, Google Chrome, by the way, told me, yeah, I don't think you want to go there. And I click, yes, I do. Then my... And then your credit card was stolen. No, well, then my cable security steps up the McAfee and goes, yeah, you really don't want to go here. And I'm like, okay, I'm not going. So I'm not sure what's going on at Kavout right now, but it's spelled K-A-V-O-U-T. And the sad thing is we had Kavout on the show, as Jared mentioned, but they also won, OG, the second annual fintech competition at FinCon. So Kavout, uh, what looked to be like a fantastic idea. And I love the fact that you could look at how Benjamin Graham and Buffett and other great investors invest, and you can look up stocks using their approach and see how different stocks would be measured if you used a Benjamin Graham approach or how it would measure if you used a Peter Lynch approach or a different one. Fascinating work that they were doing. I just pulled it up real quick. Had no problem. Really? Well, I can't yep. get there. So I'm not sure what's going on. And OG just had his credit card stolen. I know. Uh, <laughs> hold on a second. American Express is calling. Apparently there's a fraud alert. <laughs> Gary's up next. Gary says, my wife and I are 57 years old. She retired three months ago. I'm planning to retire next April. We have $1.2 million in the thrift savings plan. That's a 401k through the government for people that don't know the lingo. $200,000 in Roth IRAs, $250,000 in cash, and $100,000 cash value in my whole life insurance. Together, we'll receive $30,000 as a pension from the post office annually. 
at 70, we'll receive 60,000 from social security. Here's my question. I want to invest half a million dollars in stocks or mutual funds that pay 6% dividends a year. What is this? Is this 6% dividend day? And by the way, these letters are on different days from different URLs. I thought okay, about, <laughs> yeah, right. I thought about buying AT&T and JP Morgan stock. They both pay greater than 6% per year, but how should I diversify my high yield investment? Expect great answers from you and OG. Ha ha. Love your show. I love how he puts ha ha. Expect a great answer. Ha ha. Uh, love your show. Listen to it every week. Keep up the good work. Thanks a million. Gary. Yeah. Same commentary, I guess, as Parrish's letter from before. The 6% thing is irrelevant because you could get 10% of capital appreciation and still be okay. Right. I think you want to check your math. I'm not looking at JP Morgan, maybe the same way that you are. I don't see that their dividend is 6%. It seems to me that it's closer to two, which is kind of the going rate. So give or take about 2% is the yield of the S&P right now, plus or minus. So if you're finding something that's well above that, there's, there's more to that story is my point. Further spending you know, a third of your wealth into two different companies probably isn't the wisest thing either, regardless of how great their dividend yields appear to be in the moment. So refer back to Parrish's question, but I think you kind of think beyond just the dividend thing. We got all this money. All we're trying to do is have a lifetime sustaining income out of it. It doesn't matter if it's coming out of dividends or if it's coming out of capital appreciation or what. So be diversified. That's the biggest thing. I've got some questions, though, about some other things that he has. I'm really, I'm questioning the $100,000 cash value in the whole life insurance. And I'm, I mean, I'm wondering what that's for, OG. With those pensions, do you think that's a way to maybe get rid of the survivor benefit on one of the pensions, especially since they both have post office pensions? Um, no, I don't think that that's, uh, well... Not a hundred thousand dollars worth of cash value. That's not what they. That's not how they started those. I guarantee that. <laughs> but if there's a hundred thousand dollars in cash value, they've socked a decent amount of money into those. I know, but I'm saying like we didn't start thinking about not taking a survivor pension. Got we you. call that pension flexibility, right? We weren't thinking about pension flexibility thirty years ago when we got the whole life policy. Right, right, right. You know, there's a lot of layers to this. Again, the whole life stuff. Maybe you want to consider maybe upgrading your 1980s life insurance policy, whether it's accessible or not, or useful to you in your long-term financial plan. As, yeah, because as, that was my uh, question. I mean, looking at the pensions and the fact that they both have those pensions based on the social security that they're going to receive, you have to question along with their savings, what the uses of that money today. Yeah. And what's the likelihood of it continuing to grow? Right. And at what capacity? And definitely $250,000 in cash is too much. I love the fact they have $200,000 in Roths. And uh, that money, of course, could be bigger. Do you think there's an opportunity with that cash and with the $1.2 million sitting in pre-tax money and only $200,000 sitting in Roth for them to maybe do a backdoor Roth opportunity? You mean to do uh, Roth conversions? Yes. Well, that's certainly something to consider because if you're in your 50s and you think, hey, I'm not going to really need any of this money, you fast forward 13 years, your million two is going to probably grow to two million, yeah, he's, give or take, over the next 13 years? Yeah. yeah. And he's so got, what's the required distribution at age 70? And at that time, you're also getting Social Security. All of a sudden, all of a sudden you're, you're in the top one percenter. How's it feel? 
Yeah, Gary, I know these aren't questions that you asked, but you gave us a lot of great information. And I think that that $250,000 in cash is not something we often see people have. And that gives you an opportunity to have the money to pay the tax. Now, the way that tax brackets work, I wouldn't go flip a ton of money all at once, but I might put together a strategy where I go up to the next tax bracket each year and kind of fill in. Well, you can get, especially with the tax law change, right? You can go more 12%, 12% for quite a while. Hey, just real quick, back to uh, anecdotally about our dividends, and there's other sides to the story here. I just quickly pulled up an AT&T chart. I haven't looked at it and don't know anything about AT&T other than what I'm about to tell you. Last five years, AT&T is down 13%. It's got that nice, big, fat, juicy 6% yield. Contrasted against the uh, generally the S&P 500, which is up 65% with a 2% yield. So you could get minus 13, but $2 a share of cash, or plus 65 and 2% cash. I'll take money any way it comes. It doesn't have to come on dividends. And better diversification at the same time. Oh, absolutely. Now, J.P. Morgan will not prove my point here. It's up 100% in the last five years. So. Right, right, <laughs> right. But still, as an example, he says he wants to buy AT&T and J.P. Morgan. I don't think, Gary, if you're talking about buying two stocks with half a million dollars, that's a great idea. Absolutely not. No, no, no. That's where we look at some of these firms like Emperor, as an example, who we just talked about a few minutes ago. Anybody that invests with them has uh, many different individual stocks uh, attached to professional management at the same time. So buying a couple stocks and holding them and taking the dividend to 6% and a 2% and to OG's point, not lately receiving any capital appreciation at all, not exciting. And, and, and obviously that's not a forward looking statement, obviously, but just because at and Oh, do I have to down. disclose that I have at and stock? Do you? I've always wanted to be like the guy on, uh, do you own AT&T? Like the guy on CNBC. Yes. You need a little bubble that goes. In disclosure, OG owns AT&T's. I think I have, um, well, some. Like it's on the wall. I have it right here. <laughs> like actual stock. It's so like you, in a frame. You've like one share in a frame. Well, I had the one share that I bought way back when they had that company, one share. But um, but I have more than one share. I at least have two now. Uh, right, right. I think you probably have like five if it's from the time of one share. Yes, I got to disclose something. Woohoo! Thanks for the question, Gary. And now I've peed off that the thing's down 13% in the last uh, five years. I didn't even know that. That's going to do it, man. Hey, let's do another one. <laughs> Look at the time. What? <laughs> like you have anywhere else to be. <laughs> that good point. All right. Uh, let's see what we have here. Next question comes to us from Rich. Rich says, my wife and I are expecting a child come December, and we're concerned about the possibility of child disabilities, Down syndrome, autism, other items that require full-time sick care. Are there any insurance policies or tools to help prevent the loss of income for one of us to care for a child's full-time or to cover the cost of a full-time caretaker? As always, thanks for nothing, <laughs> Rich. Uh, the first thing I think of, Rich, is that if, if we're looking at December, we may be close enough that even if there were an insurance policy, it might already be considered a pre-existing condition, meaning that uh, my father-in-law wanted to talk to me about long-term care after he found out that he had Parkinson's. He didn't want to talk about it at all. And then the day that he was diagnosed, he called my office and wanted to sit down and talk about getting long-term care insurance. And of yeah, horses out of the barn, dude. Yeah, of course the answer there. So I think it would be close. But for everybody, OG, is there an insurance 
that would cover time away to take care of a child with a disability? I can't think of one. Can you? I can't think of one either. It's either a disability to you. Yeah. A long-term care situation won't take care of that. A disability policy won't take care of that. Yeah. I don't know that type of policy, Rich. I do not know of one. If somebody knows of one, shoot us an email. Joe at stackybedjamins.com and, and let me know if there is a way. There's something that sitting here in the basement we're not thinking of. Of course, you know what's going to happen, OG. Somebody's going to write us and we're going to go, oh, slap the forehead. You know. Thanks, everyone, for your letters. This is always one of our favorite episodes. And guess what? If you're somebody that needs so much help that just sending us a letter isn't what you're looking for, you really need good help in your corner. OG's taking clients. And OG, you're taking clients in a new way now. What's that all about? You're getting with technology, dude. <laughs> well, I kind of always used it. But I want, I'm trying to experiment with some different ways to uh, communicate. And I was thinking, hey, you might be thinking about this while you're driving, listening to the show. Yeah. Let's do it via text. Great idea. Text the word stacker to 44222, and that'll be your first step to having much better financial help in your corner. Thanks also to everybody, by the way, who's left us a review of this here podcast on either Stitcher or Apple Podcast or wherever you listen. We got a new one here, OG, that mom's putting on her fridge. She was pretty excited about this one. Five stars from Arto Say. The headline says, great show, exclamation point. They make learning a thing or two about finance fun. That see, it didn't even have to be long. And mom's ecstatic about it. She doesn't always like the war and peace. It can be something very simple. Thanks a ton for everybody who's done that. And thanks to Artose for that one. And thanks to mom for putting it on the fridge. All right, Doug, take it from here, man. What should we have learned today? So what did we learn today? First, are you building a portfolio based on just harvesting returns? Remember that there are other ways to score returns, and by limiting yourself to only dividend payments, you might cost yourself some money in tax savings or some efficiency with your investments. Second, treating your advisor like a second-rate human? Remember that they have feelings too, and they could potentially decide your money just isn't worth the trouble. Everyone deserves to be treated with respect, even if you aren't on the same page. Maybe a calm chat about expectations beats a browbeating. But the big lesson... Don't make food for this National Cheesecake Day thingy. While I love cheese and I absolutely love cake, brie and vanilla frosting do not pair well. Special thanks to you for sending in your letters, some of which are a couple of months old. Want to jump to the head of the line? Try the Haven Lifeline voicemail. Not only will we then be bestest friends forever, you'll also score a free Greatest Money Show on Earth t-shirt, suitable for framing. This show was created by Joe Saul Cihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I just noticed it's just as dark and damp down here as Joe's soul. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. Thanks to Joe's mom for explaining that cheesecake and cheese and cake are two totally different beasts altogether. Ambiguity for the win, am I right? Right.
you and I both have movies that we've seen. You're going to do a couple of uh, 30 second reviews. Oldies but goodies. Awesome. Finish Deadpool. After like stop the presses. Three weeks. Three weeks. Probably been watching it for a month and a half. Ten minutes at uh, a time. Yeah, it was good. It was probably my favorite superhero movie, if that's a thing. That's a pretty low bar, by the way. But um, uh, so I would see Deadpool too. But I, I did kind of, I did kind of get tired of the male anatomy jokes. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. Yep. That's another funny joke about that. Okay. Yeah. So, me personally, I also saw Passengers. Oh, with uh, Chris, uh, Chris Pratt? Pratt, and Jennifer Lawrence. Right. And they wake up early. Well, while they're yeah. on a trip, on yeah. a spaceship. Mm-hmm. That thing got horrible reviews. Got terrible reviews. Yeah. I think they could have made it way more drama y because he's the one that wakes up first. And then, you know, anyway. Yeah. Not so much. Meh. So those are my two reviews. I went to see uh, this movie in theaters using my movie pass before it goes away. <laughs> I don't think it's going away. I think somebody's going to buy it. it d- I'm going to buy movie pass stock, dude. Are you? Really, are you I got to do it. I totally have to sandbox money. And I'm not buying like 500 shares. I'm going to buy like 50,000 shares. No, you're not. Oh, you're Hell yeah. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. yeah you're, What's the name of the company? I'm going to look it up. Yeah. What could possibly go wrong? Well, right? while you're doing that, let's listen to me supporting that company by going to see Uncle Drew. You could just hear people whispering, Drew, 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 Drew. I wouldn't be surprised that he's as good today as he was back then. Oh, my nuts. Oh, Joe, nuts. Come on back. Don't do it like that, Uncle Drew! All on you in my favorite Timberlands. My girlfriend. It is the 50th anniversary of Rucker Park. This tournament is the center of the streetball universe. What makes you think you have a chance? Wow, I'm so cocky, baby. I'm so Someone like you could combine the old school with the new school at the Rucker. I'll do it on one condition. Anything you want. It's got to be my team. My roster. Okay, anything but that. Don't be slamming my door. Sorry about that. Man, you just did this. Now, gotta get the boys. And Uncle Drew sets off to get the boys, get his team, and of course, they're a bunch of old men. Cool thing about this movie, OG, that I thought was that it was the all the stars are played by either current or former NBA stars, and uh, r- really fun. Of course, Chris Weber plays one of the people, and it's funny because as they're dribbling down the court, they tell Chris Weber's character in the movie. They say, "Now remember, we're out of timeouts." And he's like, what are you talking about? He's like, just wanted to tell nice. you, we have no timeouts. And so they're ragging on him in the movie when he's even a different character. And it's funny because I didn't realize it was Chris Webber until they said that. I'm like, oh my God, that's Chris Webber. This is a movie with a really basic premise. A dude recruits a team, team gets stolen by another team. And so he's got to go create a new team, finds this old guy, Uncle Drew. Uncle Drew, as you heard in the piece, has to recruit his guys. And these old men and one old woman, of course, uh, played by WNBA star, they proceed to just wallop most of the teams and make it to the finals. And then, you know, that sets up the last 15 minutes of action. This movie was predictable and stupid. And that's exactly what I thought it was going to be when I walked in, which is why I really liked it. I, th- I, th- 
I thought it was pretty fun. I went in there just expecting, a, you know what it, it, this is? This is the same review, OG, that I gave Jurassic Park. Yeah. Same, same review. Thought it Popcorn. Was be, yes, it was going to be dumb with a bunch of people playing basketball. Listen, this is not going to be an Academy Award contender. These people are not actors. I thought it was really cool. As Cheryl and I were walking out of the theater, she said, they did really well for people who aren't professional actors. So uh, uh, Uncle Drew gets a modified thumb up. If if you're not somebody who likes sports movies and you're not somebody looking just for dumb entertainment, then you probably don't want to see Uncle Drew. But those two caveats are fine. And I think it's even better if you like basketball. Good stuff. Okay. Um, Uncle Drew. All right. We got to go. Yeah, we do. Busy, busy, busy. I know it's crazy. Well, Stackers, the show is over, but the party is just beginning here. You know why? Because it's Military Appreciation Month, and we are giving out shout-outs to all of our friends who have served in the military. And let's point uh, the finger right here at our good friend OG, who spent time in the military. And of course, we know what a giver he is, even when he pretends like he's being uh, Mr. Surly. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members to help them reach their goals. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. They've got all kinds of resources on their site, like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Take a look at all the Military Appreciation Month offers and their usual offers. Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.